days when the Lord allowed us to be here. And it's good to be back this morning here in the house of the Lord. Somebody said as I entered, you haven't changed. I want you to know I have changed. I used to tell people I'm older than I've ever been. And it sounded so negative, I asked the Lord to help me put it in the positive. So now I tell people I'm younger than I'll ever be. <laughs> that sounds a whole lot better. I am old. I read the other day a statement that you know when, when you're old. How to know when you're old. He said you know you're old when you bend down to tie your shoes and you ask yourself, what else can I do while I'm down here? <laughs> Good to be here. And uh, my wife expresses the same. Good to have her with us today. Uh, we remember, as I said earlier, with great joy the days here. And uh, I'm just rejoicing to see what the Lord is continuing to do. I have the utmost respect for your pastor. I was thinking this morning before I got out of bed, I have known Jared Scott all of his life. <laughs> I preached revivals for his dad at Harris Chapel of Baptist Church and then again over at, uh, in Raleigh. Uh, Jared was just a kid, I mean a little kid at Harris Chapel. But God has used him so much during the years. And I want to tell you, he is highly regarded as an expository preacher. I did an interim uh, <coughs> at Antioch Baptist Church where he served before coming here. And I want to tell you, I, I heard Jared Scott name called many, many times, and I thank God for him and the fact that he is your pastor. <coughs> now this morning, I want us to focus on the theme of the cross. If I were to give the message a title, it would be, Don't Forget the Cross. Don't Forget the Cross. And I call your attention to two verses of Scripture that will serve as a twofold text for the message this morning. Jesus, over in the 14th chapter of Luke's Gospel, was teaching his disciples on the requirements of discipleship. And he said in the 27th verse, Whosoever doth not deny himself and take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. <coughs> Strong words. But the main text is over in Matthew 24, uh, excuse me, Matthew 16, verse 24. Matthew 16, and verse 24, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross and follow me. The theme of the cross, the scarlet thread of the cross, is interwoven throughout all the 66 books that we speak of as the Word of God. Beginning in the Garden of Eden and interwoven throughout all the 66 books is the scarlet thread of the cross until you come to the book of Revelation standing, as it were, in the Garden of Heaven. In the Old Testament, they looked in prospect to the coming of Jesus Christ and to his eventual death on the cross. That's why Isaiah, the prince of the prophets, could say he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. But whereas those in the Old Testament looked in prospect to the coming of Christ and the cross, those in the New Testament looked in retrospect. That is to say, they looked back to the event of the cross. That's why you have Paul saying as he addressed the church at Galatia, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You and I have many things for which to be thankful, but we have only one thing in which to glory. Paul, looking in retrospect to the cross, said to the Corinthian church, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved it is the power of God. Now, there were three crosses on the crest of Calvary. One, the cross of the rejecting skeptic who died in his sins. He did not want to be forgiven of his sins. He wanted to be delivered only from the cross. He said, if thou be the Christ, come down from the cross, save thyself and us. The cross of the rejecting skeptic. On the other side of Jesus was the cross of the repenting sinner who died to his sins when he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. While on the middle cross, not a thief, but a God-man, Jesus Christ, dying for sin, for the sins of the entire world. Now, we are all familiar with those three crosses. But what I want to do this morning is mention another cross, a cross that I sometimes refer to as the fourth cross, the cross that wings its way down through the corridors and centuries of time to where you are seated and where I stand this morning, the cross that our Lord spoke of in Matthew 16, 24, when he said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and come and take up his cross and follow me. And follow me. We like to sing about the cross, do we not? On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. But I wonder, I wonder if we can just as vociferously and just as heartfelt sing another song and really mean it. The lyrics go something like this. Jesus, I my cross have taken, 
all to leave and follow thee. Destitute, despised, forsaken, thou from hence my all shall be. What about the fourth cross? What about your cross? What about my cross? We must not forget that. But the question that I raise this morning is this. What is the meaning of your cross and mine? When Jesus said, you must deny self, take up your cross and follow me. What does the fourth cross mean? May I say something in the light of Matthew 16, 24, when he said, follow me, your cross and my cross will not be any different from Jesus. Oh, I do not mean that they're going to take you out here on the outskirts of a town and raise a cross and crucify you as they did Jesus. But in a more profound sense, I want to say again, our cross will not be any different. Where do I get that? I get it from Jesus. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow me. When you and I deny self to take up our cross, we will find ourselves following, as it were, in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. So the question, the real question, is this. What is the meaning of your cross and mine? What is the meaning of the fourth cross? The only way you and I will ever know is to take a journey, an imaginary journey to the crest of Calvary and see what the cross meant to Jesus. And as we do so, we hear Jesus uttering his first word from the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And by the way, Jesus spoke seven times from the cross. Now, I'm not going to deal with these seven sayings. We'd be here until supper time, and you'd be ill with me. But I do want us to note Jesus and what he said enough to leave here and realize that his cross and ours will be the same. Jesus began his prayer, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. By the way, did you realize that Jesus commenced his cross experience in prayer, this word of forgiveness. Jesus continued his cross experience in prayer. The fourth saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, was a prayer. But not only did Jesus commence his cross in prayer and continue his cross experience in prayer, Furthermore, he concluded it in prayer. For the last saying, the seventh saying that Jesus uttered from the cross were these words, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. But look at this first saying, this word of forgiveness. And here we have something of an index as to what it means to bear our cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Talking about cross-bearing, here is where it begins. You cannot 
bear your cross until first of all you come to Jesus Christ, the God-man on the middle cross, and be forgiven, (coughs) forgiven of your sins. And I would pause here just to inject this question. Am I speaking to anyone here today who has come to this point in life and you have never said yes to Jesus? You have never repented of your sins? You've never acknowledged your lostness, your need of Christ? If so, I pray that before this service concludes, you'll give your heart to Jesus Christ. But we learn something from Jesus on this word of forgiveness. Only Jesus can forgive and make possible deliverance from sin. But once we have been forgiven, it is our responsibility to forgive. When Jesus gave us what we refer to as the model prayer, here's what he taught us. Father, forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus, in this first statement, was seen not only giving, but forgiving. You and I must be forgiving if we're on the cross. I never shall forget going to Charlotte to pastor Oakhurst Baptist Church. There were two ladies, JT, in that church, I learned, who had not spoken to one another in seven long years. Seven years. They were at church every Sunday. Every time the doors were open, both of them were there to worship. And they had not spoken to one another in seven years. I went to, I'll call Lady A. Lady A and Lady B, two ladies, two sisters. I went to Lady A and I said, Wilson, if your sister agreed to meet, would you meet with us? Yes. I went to Lady B. I said, if your sister agrees to meet, would you meet with me and the minister of music? And let's discuss. Yes. The appointed time came and Lady A did not show up. She made the statement. I'll die before I forgive my sister. Less than two months down the road, I turned a curve in Charlotte, and the police were wrapping a body up with a sheet. I learned quickly that it was Lady A. She did die, and so far as I know, never forgave her sister. That is an awful way to live. That is a terrible way to live. When I resigned as pastor and retired as pastor from First Baptist Church of Garner, I began to do interims. (coughs) This church was one of them. I had 13 interims, 13 interims. I'm not going to tell you the name of the church, but in that church, there were two men who had not spoken in three years. One sang in the choir. 
How could a person sing to the glory of God in the choir and not speak to his brother? The other man, brother, was the Bible teacher of the adult men's class. Neither one had spoken. Same cause that led those sisters in Charlotte not to speak to one another. Same thing among these two men. When the estate was settled, they felt that they were shortchanged, to put it in their terminology. I'm not going to speak to anybody. I'm not going to speak to my brother. And I don't want anybody to speak to me about it. <coughs> my friends, don't make any pretense of having denied self to take up the cross and follow Jesus if you have an unforgiving spirit. Our Lord spoke again in response to a penitent thief who said, remember me when thou comest into thy paradise. Remember me. And as is always the case, the grant is greater than the request when saturated with grace. He only requested to be remembered. But Jesus replied, today thou shalt be with me. Here we have another interpretation as to what it means to bear our cross. In the words of Dr. Arthur W. Pink, he said Jesus was not content to go back to the Father alone. But when he entered the portals of heaven to meet his heavenly Father, he did so with a penitent thief under his arm. Today thou shalt be with thee, with me. If we have denied self to take up our cross and follow Jesus, we will never be content to go to heaven alone. We'll have a soul in his heart and we'll say to others, come and go with me. I used to think, Jared, when I was a little boy at Flat Rock Baptist Church, that this matter of accepting Jesus was, was like a person going down the road and they came to a fork in the road, and one had to make a decision, choose the narrow way that went to heaven, or choose the other fork, the broad way that leads to destruction. I was taught that it was a fork in the road. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Let me tell you something I want you to take home and think about. The narrow way is right in the middle of the broad way. The narrow way. The word of God says, wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be that enter. At 16 years of age, at Flat Rock Church, I accepted Jesus. How did it happen? <clears throat> I was headed down the broad way, the wide gate, that led to destruction. And Brother A.W., I could preach the word. I repented of my sin. Repentance means an about face. I turned all the way around and went in an opposite direction. Now, the Lord did not deliver me. I still remain on earth. I'm here till this day. But when one going down the broad way repents, 
and turns in faith to Jesus Christ, he meets all the opposition in the world, and the way becomes narrow, and it becomes our responsibility to touch this man and this woman and this boy and this girl on the shoulder and say, won't you come and go with me? The narrow way is in the middle of the broad way. The difference is the traffic is going in the opposite direction. We will not be content to go to heaven alone if we have denied self to take up the cross and follow Jesus. Now you skip over a few sayings and come over to the sixth saying of Christ on the cross. It is a word of victory when he said, It is finished. It is finished. Aren't you glad it's finished? Aren't you glad Jesus Christ has already done everything he needs to do and everything he will ever do to save? He's not going to send another Bible. He's not going to send another Holy Spirit. Jesus is not going to the cross again. He's the once-for-all sacrifice. Hebrews 9 teaches us that he was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. It's finished. A word of victory. May I say you'll only know and find victory at the cross. Victory over self. I know who it is that gives you more trouble than anybody else in Green Pines Baptist Church. You say, Jared's been talking to you. <laughs> no, he hadn't. I know that when you stand before the mirror, the guy or the gal that faces you gives you more problems than anybody else here. You'll never have victory over self until you come to the cross. I read a little poem some time ago. It went like this. I had a little tea party this afternoon at three. It was very small, three guests in all, just I, myself, and me. It was I who ate the sandwiches. It was I who drank the tea. It was I also who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. Isn't that just like us? Isn't that just exactly like us? Self. We're so selfish. We're so self-centered. You'll have victory over self. You'll have victory over sin. And you'll have victory over sin only as you come to the cross. Sins of omission. Sins of commission. What about sins of disposition? Having an attitude that is unlike Christ and that is ungodly and detrimental and destructive. You'll have victory at the cross. Over self, over sin, over suffering. I want to tell you something. I'm learning the older one gets, the more we're susceptible to the sufferings and even the sorrows and the exigencies of life. It just happens. 
It just happens. The poet said, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but I was none the wiser in what she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and not a word said she, but all the lessons that I learned when sorrow walked with me. You know what it is to be broken with sorrow, broken with heartache, broken with heartbreak? How many mothers, how many dads have I heard to say, my daughter, my son, my, you can fill in the blank. They're killing me. All the sorrows of life. What about Satan? I read in this book that for this cause was the Son of God manifested, talking about the cross, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You do know the devil is still at work, don't you? And I never dreamed I'd ever see a day like we're in right now politically, economically, socially, any way you look at it. We're living at a time unprecedented. My friends, don't give up. Don't give in. Don't throw in the towel. Jesus Christ knows what the situation is. And in the words of Dr. Billy Graham, all of it's going to work out just like he planned. God is not looking down on America, wringing his hands and saying, I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. He's not. He's not. Somebody asked Dr. Graham, how can you be so optimistic? He said, I read the last chapter in the Word of God. (laughs) I know how it's going to work out. I know how it's going to turn out. Don't mourn and complain and live in defeatism. Know the victory that's ours in Jesus Christ and rejoice, for it's not over yet. A last word, the last saying that Jesus voiced from the cross. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. I call it a word of commitment. A word of commitment. I drove one night almost 200 miles to hear Dr. R.G. Lee preach. I love to hear that man preach. He made a statement I'll never forget. He said the missing word in the vocabulary of most Christians is the missing word commitment. He said, we don't know anything about commitment. We're turning aside from the word of God concerning its truth relative to commitment. I'm sort of reminded of the boy who wrote his girlfriend a letter, I love you so much. I love you enough I'd climb the highest mountain for you. I'd swim the deepest ocean for you. I love you so much. I'll see you tonight if it doesn't rain. (laughs) That's about how anemic 
That's about how shallow our commitment is. When I look to the cross of Christ, Jesus Christ, who set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem, I see commitment. Dr. Ralph Sockman said much with which I disagree, but he said a mouthful when he said, Jesus Christ on the cross, his bloody, broken, bruised body did more to turn this world from bad to good, from evil to good, than all the armies that ever marched, than all the navies that ever sailed, than all the all the parliaments that ever sat. I agree with him there. Let me tell you where I saw, my wife and I both saw commitment. In the late 60s, we went to the Holy Land. And after spending days in the Holy Land, we went to Rome. Spent a couple of days in Rome. I stood at that Colosseum and wept. I couldn't help but weep. No place ever moved me like the Colosseum of Rome. You know why? Those professing Christians who said, I know and love Jesus Christ, were led to the entrance of that Colosseum. The gladiators would ride and they'd put the point of a spear next to the juggler vein of that professing Christian, and one question was asked, Who is Lord? All in the world that professing Christian would have to do to live physically would be to respond, Curios Kaisar. Caesar is Lord. The spear was withdrawn. That professing Christian was allowed to go free. But if that professing believer would dare stick by his theological guns and reply to the question, Who is Lord? If he would only reply, Jesus Christos Curios. Jesus Christ is my Lord. The spear pierced the juggler vein. The blood began to course down the body of that believer. And later they were thrown to the animals. And as they applauded in the Colosseum, the onlookers that is, they watched as the bodies of believers were torn apart and their flesh looked like hamburger because they were committed to Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, I want to ask you, are you committed to Jesus? Doesn't matter what comes. Doesn't matter how difficult times may come. And I think harder times are coming. I don't think we've seen anything yet as we're going to see by way of an attack upon the church and the things of God. Are you prepared to stand no matter what? I know this. 
God is grieved and the Holy Spirit is grieved and Jesus is brokenhearted when we take the teaching of God's word and in particular relative to the cross in a casual fashion. I'm going to close with a word from Studdard Kennedy. He wrote a he wrote concerning a poem concerning Jesus. He entitled it, When Jesus Came to Birmingham. I want you to listen to what he said. When Jesus came to Golgotha, they hanged him on a tree. They drove great nails through his hands and feet and made a Calvary. They crowned him with a crown of thorns. Red were his wounds and deep. For those were crude and cruel days, and human flesh was cheap. But when Jesus came to Birmingham, they simply passed him by. They hurt not a hair of his head, they only let him die. For men had grown more tender, they would not cause him pain. They simply passed on down the street and left him in the rain. Still Jesus cried, forgive them. They know not what they do. And yet it still rained the bitter rains that drenched him through and through. The crowds went home. They left the street with not a soul to see. And Jesus crouched against the wall and cried for Calvary. Anything but a nonchalant attitude toward the cross, the Christ of Calvary. Anything. They walked on down the street. They passed him by. They put him in the rain. Anything but a callous, hard, indifferent heart toward the cross. Listen to Jesus in our text and don't forget the cross. If any man will deny himself and come after me, let him take up the cross and follow me.